0: 2022 was the year that we bade farewell to Queen Elizabeth II, a great and faithful monarch, a beloved sister in Christ, actually. Um, The late queen had a summer home up in Scotland, in the highlands of Scotland. Uh, She calls this castle Balmoral, and uh, she loved it there. And while she was there, she often liked to go on walks uh, just with her protection officer, uh, long walks in, in the countryside. His name was Richard. Is Richard Griffin, uh, Dick? They called him, and he has uh, one story that he loves to recount. He and the Queen were out for a picnic, and after the picnic, they continued on for a walk. And as they were walking, they saw a, another couple of hikers making their way toward them. This was a little bit unusual, but as they drew close, the Queen greeted them. She said, "Hello." and uh, it was a a couple of Americans who were on a hiking vacation. They didn't have a clue who they were talking to. One of the Americans began telling the Queen, regaling her with all of their uh, stories of where they had been in Britain and where they were going to go and where they lived in the United States. And then finally he said to Her Majesty, so where do you live? And she said, well, I live in London but I have a holiday home just over those hills." And he said, "'Well, how long have you been coming here for holiday?' And she said, "'Ever since I was a little girl, so more than 80 years.'" And you could see the wheels begin turning in the guy's head. He said, "'If you've been coming here for 80 years, well, you must have met the queen.'" (laughs) And quick as a flash, she said, "'Well, I haven't, but Dick here meets her regularly.'" And so the American suddenly was interested in Dick and he said, You've met the Queen? What is she like? He said, Well, she can be a little cantankerous, but she's got a lovely sense of humor. And immediately the American walked over, as only an American can do, wrapped his arm around Dick, handed his camera to the Queen, and said, Would you please take a picture of the two of us? And so she did. And then they swapped around, and he took a picture of them with her, and she never let on. And after they said their goodbyes, made their way off into the distance, the queen turned to Dick and said, I'd love to be a fly on the wall when he shows those photographs to their friends in America. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great story, isn't it? But those Americans, I think, could be forgiven for their mistake because. She was entirely out of context, wasn't she? If they had seen her seated on her throne with her crown and her scepter in Buckingham Palace, well, they would have known exactly who she was. But here in the Scottish Highlands, she was just an old woman in a tweed jacket with a headscarf. Turns out, it was a surprise encounter with royalty incognito. Royalty in disguise which describes perfectly that first Christmas Eve. Because that's the story of Christmas. The infant Jesus, God incognito. You wouldn't have given this baby a a second glance unless someone had clued you in. Which is exactly what happened to a group of terrified shepherds in a field outside of Bethlehem. So let's finish their story. When the angels went away from them into heaven... pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This is the word of the Lord. We're obviously very familiar with this story. We hear it at least every Christmas Eve. But it wouldn't hurt us to be reminded of a couple of important things. First of all, as I said earlier, the baby in Bethlehem was nothing less than royalty incognito. And if you don't understand that, if you don't know who that baby really was, then none of the rest of the story, indeed, none of Christianity makes any sense at all. For centuries, the Jews had been expecting a heavenly visitor. The prophets had promised someone that they called the Messiah, or the, the anointed one, the Christ, who was going to be a rescuer. He was going to come into a messed up world, And he was going to save that world. And it wasn't just the Jews he was going to save. He would save all who would accept his offer of help. And so for centuries they waited. With eagerness they waited and longed for the coming of this Messiah, this Christ. But century after century after century nothing happened. And they began to wonder, I'm sure, whether God might have forgotten them. Whether God was not going to make good on his promise to them. And then suddenly on that night outside of Bethlehem, the news came that God indeed had not forgotten His promise and that the Messiah, the Savior, the Christ had come. Only He had come in a most unlikely package. He was a baby. A baby. And one of the names that was given to that baby was Emmanuel. I love that, which means God with us. And so when we talk about that baby who was born in Bethlehem that night, you need to remember, you need to understand that this was no ordinary child. This is God in the flesh. This is royalty incognito. And when you understand that, then it, well, it makes the other characters in our story even more unlikely. Of all the people that might have been invited to the birth of the Messiah, among the most unlikely would have been shepherds. And we say, well, why is that? That seems like an honorable enough profession, isn't it? Nope. Not in first century Palestine. Shepherds were considered the dregs of society. For one thing, they were filthy. Literally filthy. They lived in the fields. They walked in the manure that was left behind by their flocks. They were always dirty. And because the religious rules of the time required that you be ritually clean before you could even worship in God's temple, well, shepherds were never qualified. They were never clean enough to enter God's house. They were never welcome, ever. I wonder if you've ever felt that way, that you weren't quite good enough. You were not quite welcome enough in God's house. And perhaps because they knew this about themselves, they knew that they were reviled and despised and looked down upon by, well, by ordinary, upstanding uh, people. These shepherds often lived into their disreputation. They, They became bands of traveling thieves. They would wander the countryside and supplement their income by robbing their neighbors and fellow pilgrims. They weren't very nice people. And shepherds were, in short, considered to be scum. There were only two groups, in fact, that were lower on the Jewish totem pole than shepherds. Tax collectors and lepers. That is some low company. Tax collectors and lepers. And so, for shepherds of all people to receive this heavenly invitation to be the first to welcome and to worship the baby Messiah... Christ incognito, it was a shock. It was a huge, unexpected surprise. Surprise number one. Here's surprise number two. The shepherds were given a sign by the angels. They were given a sign to make sure that they visited the right newborn baby in Bethlehem. That would have been awkward, wouldn't it, if they'd gotten the wrong one? And the baby, they were told that they would find, would be wrapped in strips of cloth and lying in a manger. And of course we say that he would be lying in the manger. That's what first century Palestinian Bethlehem babies do. They lie in mangers. Well, actually, I mean, this is the image we have of, of a manger. It's, it's beautiful and, and, and wooden and clean and filled with straw and lovely, with lights shining on it all the time, lights shining on it. But that's actually not what a manger looked like at all. Here's a picture of a manger. That is an ancient manger, maybe a first century Palestinian manger. It was a stone animal feed trough. And into that feed trough, the the family would dump their scraps. All of the moldy and scuzzy vegetables that they didn't want to eat, that's what they dumped into the feed trough, into the manger for the animals, for the livestock to eat. It's kind of the equivalent today of what? A compost bin, right? They would take all of their scuzzy leftovers that none of them wanted to eat, and they would put it into the manger. That's what they did with them. So think about that for a moment. All of the inedible stuff that your family doesn't want to touch, along with a, a coating of cow slobber, that's what usually went inside a manger. So when the shepherds were told, you're going to find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger, this is what they were hearing. That's what they were hearing. And I'm sure that Mary did her very best to kind of clean it out and make it as nice as she could as a young mom would. But there were no wet wipes. There were no Lysol spray or or 409 it was still a manger. It was still a recycling bin, a, a garbage can with a baby inside of it. And I'm sure that the non-human residents of the stable must have been a little perplexed. One of our staff found a great cartoon that expresses that. The cow is saying to the donkey, Dude, there's a baby in the salad. <laughs> now, that was a surprising sign given to the shepherds. Now, do you find that unsettling? Do you find this unsettling the last service a little kid back there shouted yes 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 it's unsettling every baby deserves a a sanitary crib and and surely the the god baby god incognito would as well it is unsettling do you know though it is also gracious do you realize it is a picture of the gospel? It is the heart of the, the Christmas story. God is being so kind to those shepherds. What do I mean? I mean that to a part of society that was considered unclean and unworthy, too filthy to be allowed into upstanding religious circles, to that unlikely group, the angels first appeared. In fact, apart from Jesus' immediate family, the shepherds were the only group that received an angelic visitation. The wise men didn't receive an angelic visitation. King Herod didn't receive an angel. The religious leaders in the temple didn't receive an angel. Only the shepherds got angels. And those angels said, have we got good news for you. You are invited. Before anyone else, you are invited. You who are too scummy for proper society, you are personally invited to meet the Messiah. And just to make you feel a little more at home, you're going to find him in a feed trough. What humility. The Messiah could have come in crown and cape. He could have come as a conquering warrior on a majestic steed. He could have come as a highly respected Jewish high priest. But if he had done that, the filthy, the scummy of society would have stayed right where they were, in the dregs where they belonged. Unwanted, unwelcome. Instead, God's visit to this earth started in filth to prove that none were so far gone that he could not invite them back. That none were so far down that He could not lift them up. That none were so dirty that He could not make them clean again. One ancient historian, a man named Jerome, who lived most of his life in Bethlehem, had this to say about Jesus' birthplace. He found no room in the Holy of Holies that shone with gold, precious stones, pure silk and silver. He is not born in the midst of gold and riches, But in the midst of dung, in a stable where our sins were filthier than the dung, He is born on a dung hill in order to lift up those who come from it." There's another Christmas story besides this one. It's the Gospel of Matthew. But Matthew tells the story of the rich and famous, the Magi, who were invited to come and see Jesus. And so they are. God welcomes the rich and popular too. But Luke, Luke loves to tell how outcasts are invited in. And so, because of Luke, we hear how scummy shepherds became the first witnesses to the birth of God incognito. The question is, what would they do with that invitation? They knew what society thought of them. They knew that they weren't welcome. They knew they wouldn't be well-received anywhere. Did they dare take the angels up on this offer? And the answer comes in Luke 2, verse 15, where they say to each other, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Their response to this incredible invitation was, Let's go. The angel said, Come and see. And they said, Why not? Don't mind if we do. I love Christmas Eve because it is one of our great come-and-see moments. It is this night when those who tend to avoid the church, those who tend to avoid churchy people, maybe who even tend to avoid God, the night when the most unlikely of persons might be willing to come and see, come and see what God is up to. And I wonder if that's you this night. I wonder, do you ever feel like An outsider, an unworthy person? Do you ever feel ashamed of something that you have done, ashamed of something filthy that you think kind of sticks to you? Do you feel unwelcome by religious people or unqualified for church? Do you feel unloved by God? Maybe that He is ashamed of you? What have you discovered a different kind of God tonight? What if you discovered a different kind of church tonight? What if you found a faith that not only tolerates people with pasts, it welcomes them? Because all of us have pasts. Anyone want to raise their hand up and say they don't have a past here? We all have pasts. I have a past. What if you discovered that the things that make you feel dirty, the things that bring you shame, they don't disqualify you from God's family. In fact, The requirement for membership in God's family is you saying, look, Lord, here are the stupid, shameful, stinky things I have done. All of it. No more hiding. So what are you going to do about it? To you, to all of you, the message of this Christmas is the same as 2,000 years ago. Come and see. Come and see the unexpected rescuer of humanity who is not put off by your stinky self. Come and see what it's like to be welcomed and to be forgiven and to be cleaned up and to be sent out on mission. Come and see. I have a two year old granddaughter named Cece. As you can see from the picture, she is not hideous. And she is the light of my life. She calls me Papa. And she calls me a lot. When Cece stays overnight, that is all I hear. Papa, 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 Papa. She'll call my name until she tracks me down in the house. And she will walk over and extend her hand to me. And take my finger and then guide me to whatever project or toy she wants to share with me. Sundays after I preach, I typically go home. I go into my study. I sit down in my recliner. I kick back. I watch golf. And I go to sleep. But not when Cece is over. I was lying there recently on a Sunday afternoon trying to nap and it was Papa, Papa, Papa. And pretty soon she's sliding open the door to my study. You see, she had been painting with water, which is a truly a magical thing. It makes beautiful pictures appear on this magic paper. and is best. It is, by the way, one of the best inventions ever for two years old. And she wanted me to see her masterpiece. And so it was Papa, Papa, Papa. And she grabbed my finger and she pulled me out of the chair and she took me into her room. But it wasn't enough that I stood there and admired her artwork from a distance. She wanted me to lie down right next to her so that I could share in the wonder of her creation. I was exhausted. But her call to me, her reaching out to me is irresistible. If Cece wants me, I'll go anywhere she invites me to go. And it turns out, it turns out that come and see goes both ways. Of course, it starts with God. It always starts with God. Our salvation always starts with God. It is God who says, come, come and see how much I love you. Come, come and see my son. Come, come and see the life that he can make for you when you surrender him to him, when he takes all that is dirty and broken and makes it clean. Come and see. That's God's turn. Then it's our turn. Because he is waiting for us to say, you come and see, Papa. You come and see what I'm doing with my life, what's good but also what's bad. You you come and see me, Papa. And that's exactly what our heavenly Papa is waiting for this night for his beloved children, however soiled or ashamed they might be, to cry out, come and see me, Papa. I invite you into my life. And the greatest thing about our heavenly Papa, unlike us earthly ones, is he is never too tired, never too distracted, never too preoccupied. When we finally say, come and see Papa, his response is always, I've just been waiting for that invitation. I know that there are some, most perhaps here this night, who already love Jesus. But could there also be some who have held themselves back from Him? Who don't think themselves worthy? Who are struggling or broken or addicted or ashamed? who don't think that they can be clean enough or religious enough to be in God's family, I want you to hear me. You could not be more wrong. You couldn't be more wrong. And this first Christmas Eve proves it. We always sing, Oh, come, all ye faithful. We sang it earlier. A couple of weeks ago, one of our staff leaders said, shouldn't we also be singing, O come all ye unfaithful? Isn't this the place where the unfaithful, the broken, the disappointed, the discouraged, the ashamed, isn't this the place for them too? Don't we want the unfaithful to come that they might find their faith? And Indeed we do. And in a moment I'm going to invite you to come and see If you have never done so, and it's just by a simple prayer, three words, sorry, thanks, and please. I'm sorry, Father, for the mess I've made of my life trying to do things my way. Thank you, Jesus, that you have come into the midst of my messy world. And please, Holy Spirit, come into this mess and take out the trash and make me new. That's the prayer. If you are one of the unfaithful this night, if you want to discover what it's like to be welcomed and forgiven and restored and empowered with new purpose, then I invite you to join me in praying this simple prayer. Come and see. Would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes as a courtesy to everyone out of respect? And if this describes you, if you think of yourself as an alienated in some ways, spiritually outcast, spiritually unworthy. I hope this, this story, this image of the manger reminds you that God has come to you right where you are. In your filth, in your brokenness, in your heartache, He wants to come to you. And He's waiting for you simply to say, come, Papa, come and see. So pray with me right now. Would you echo these words if that's describing you. First of all, sorry. I'm sorry, Father, for the way that I have messed up my life. I'm sorry for the way I've gone my own ways. Thank you, Jesus, that you have stepped into the middle of this broken and messy world. And please, Holy Spirit, would you clean me up? Would you make me your own that I might be child of God that's the prayer as simple as that and if you prayed that prayer you have been welcomed into God's family as simple as that it's the beginning of a journey I I would ask you if you would keep your eyes closed your heads bound if you prayed that prayer for the first time would you do a, a brave thing would you raise your hand because I would love to pray for you Is there anyone who prayed that prayer just now for the first time? If so, just lift your hand up. Father, I thank you for those who have offered themselves to you perhaps for the first time. And we thank you that you are ready to receive them. Now, Lord, as we prepare to come to your table, would you meet us in a new and richer and deeper way. Thank you for calling us to yourself. Thank you for stepping into our filth and making it new and clean. We pray these things in the name of our Messiah. the last service of Christmas Eve, we uh, share the Lord's Supper together. I want you to listen again to these words that you've heard so many times before. The Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had blessed it, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And now we, ministering on behalf of Jesus, offer to you this bread and this juice that they might be for you, the body and blood of Christ, and that in the partaking of them you might find nourishment for your souls. Let us pray. Holy God, we thank you that when we were far from you, you came searching. We thank you that when we made a mess of things, you didn't stand back and say, clean it up. But you came, and you cleaned it up. It is an astounding act of grace, an astounding act of your love and your mercy and your goodness. And it is expressed most powerfully in the image of this meal, where we are reminded that the price of that redemption, the price of that rescue mission, was the broken body and the shed blood of your own perfect, sinless Son. The baby who came and was laid in that manger was the baby who was born to die on a cross. And so, Lord, in astonishment, before your power and your mercy, we come to your table this night. Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, have mercy upon us and grant us your peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We will receive communion by coming forward. Uh, You will uh, step to the right of your pews, please, and come up and you'll receive a piece of bread and then the cup. You may partake there or return to your pew if you wish. There will be two, I think two stations uh, up in the balcony. All who love Christ, all who... Have given their life to Him, and perhaps even this night you prayed for the first time, then you are welcome to come. This is the table of the Lord, and we bid you come, the feast of God for the people.